I'm your host, Abdullah, and, you know, I usually let the guests introduce themselves because, you know, <laughs> it's much more fun that way, so you might want to, you know, you, you have the floor. Oh, I have the floor. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, my name is Sarah Elmale. I am a voice actor um, in games mainly, but other things too. Um, I'm best known for um probably anthem um i'm the female lead player or the if you choose a lady that's me uh in anthem i am the female viking raider in for honor um i'm in a whole mess of lovely indies most recently after party i play apollyon in after party which i love i'm very happy to be in that game um super funny super fun um after party where the water tastes like wine gone home i'm i'm the voicemail at the beginning of gone home um what else what else? What else? What else? That little game uh, called Gears Five. Oh my God! How did I bliss? That's hilarious. Of course, yes. Gears Five. I am Lizzie. I'm so glad you know that and remember that. I'm so happy with Lizzie. I love Lizzie. She's she's fun as hell. I, I, I'm kind of <laughs> disappointed they didn't go with her original design with the motorcycle helmet. I thought that looked a lot cooler than what we got. Oh, I don't think I saw. I saw some early. I don't. I don't. I can't picture exactly what you're referring to, but I did see some of the original. Um, character art sketches uh, uh, on Twitter at one point, so I'm yeah. sure that uh, people will will at, will dress her up in whatever they please <laughs> if they if they care to. No, with I their mean, sketchings. I, I actually wanted that because I wanted the the whole reveal thing, you know, just to to, to flip, you know, do do a flip up and then you see the Carmine family, you know, helmet underneath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted that I'm Redfield moment from the end of Resident Evil Seven, but for, mm-hmm. but for um, the Carmine family, which I, th- I, I mean, I, I think they should have done that personally, but you know, mm-hmm. that's just me being a nerd. Well, I, I, hey, I mean, again, I think if someone's motivated, they'll they'll sketch it on or or mock it up and then then you know make her animate her that way, which would be. I love I love seeing what fans do with uh with this with stuff like that whether it's fanfic writing or or character art or just modding and whatever so I mean yeah. and, and hey you're the first female Carmine family member so oh, that's pretty cool what an honor <laughs> it's such an honor when they told me I was so excited I hadn't I hadn't actually played a Gears game but as soon as I started like uh which is odd because I know it's a, a landmark series and, and it innovated a lot of um gameplay features that we totally take for granted now real real really like a genre setting and a mechanic setting franchise but i i I did research all of the other carmines uh to prep for it um uh and i was just totally delighted for of all the kind of featured characters supporting characters to kind of step into um joining this incredible family uh legacy was really quite a treat i was very excited i mean it's is it it nerve-wracking kind of you know taking taking um you know, being a part of a big franchise like that, especially from like you know going from indies to to you know gears, is it nerve wracking? Um, I don't know. I mean, I was I had some things that I really cared about getting right. If that might, if that's a way to interpret nerve wracking, like I, 
you know, my friend Tom Bissell uh, was the one, the writer, uh, was was who kind of put me forward for the role. And so knowing that he had kind of made a bid for me and kind of spoken on my behalf and like suggested me, I really, really wanted to do a good job um, for that, for that reason. Um I knew that the game meant a, or that the franchise meant a lot to people, but also like as a as a smaller, I mean, and the legacy means a lot to people too. Like as the Carmines, like you're stepping into a tradition. So, I guess so. And I mean, but it's just it wasn't as stressful as, for example, Anthem. Like like trying to to really stepping into a player character role has different kind of responsibilities to it, or or you know what they would say is like the leads kind of set the tone on set. Um, in film, and and so like I'm not like carrying the franchise. So I mean, I feel more for Laura, kind of bailey stepping into that kind of driver's seat um so for me because i'm just like i'm kind of in the i just sort of pop my head in and, and goof around and um you know it wouldn't it wouldn't uh ruin someone's game experience for me to be anything less than awesome because I'm, I'm there for two seconds um but i but i did have a chance to make those a really really fun to really kind of grab those two seconds by the horns um because she has a great entrance and a great exit both so yeah so I wasn't as to answer your question. I wasn't like as nervous as I might have been, but there were certain things that I did feel demanded my focus in order to get right. I mean, you know, it's it's a huge franchise, and you know, sometimes it's kind of you know, sometimes it's kind of nerve wracking for people to you know jump from you know indies to AAA like that. But you know, I think I mean, well, most people don't. I don't know that actually many people do jump from indies to AAA. They a lot a lot of people come into game voiceover from animation and other other things um it's very rare I'm, I'm one of the only voice actors i know who started who focused on indie games as a whole purpose to begin with and then kind of advanced through the ranks if you will into um triple a and and by that point i mean i think the, the thing is the actual work experience is so intimate and so small like you have to really be distracted by a lot of amp, like abstract context future context of the game coming out and everything to get thrown because what it feels like on the day is you show up it's a very cozy little booth and you have three or four people in the room your engineer your directors your writer everyone's very nice um you work hard but it's it's very comfortable I, voiceover to me is always very friendly and like easygoing compared to other things so the the, the day's work is actually quite chill <laughs> i mean it's, it's hard working but it's like it's not a, it's not very grand it doesn't feel very grand um, it doesn't feel very like distracting. It's not like stepping out, to, uh, out into a huge arena. Um, so it's very easy to kind of remember that you're just working with these people and trying to please the people in the room or, or collaborate with the people in the room. And then later you realize, oh my God, this is coming out and everyone's going to play it and there's going to be ads on TV and oh my God. But you can kind of, you can put off your nerves till later um, with voiceover. It's kind of easy to do. And most of the time, you know, you guys record via code name so you don't even know like what the game's going to be until... Like, Not when you're going in, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm in, uh, there were two, at least two games that I went into that it, they didn't actually tell me the, the name of the game, and they were major franchises where I could have really used that reference point as like a way to understand the tone of the project, because I would have known what those meant or I would have looked them up. So, so yeah, sometimes I don't get to know even on the day. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I know why they do that because you know they don't want anyone to, to you know blab. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. You blabbed about Mars, Quaid. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's okay. I throw that reference. I have there. to get it. Yeah, sure. I gotta pick up the second one. I really gotta. Uh, no. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, because because that's what I usually, you know, every time like I, I have you know interview someone and they're like, ah, oh, you know, I can't talk about, you know, I'm working on something big, I can't talk about it because of NDAs. I think yeah, of, of course. That, I think of that scene in Total Recall mm-hmm. where, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, it's true because uh, you know, not a lot of uh, people uh, go into to video games like indie games, especially like very little people um, in the voiceover world like build off their their stuff from you know cut their teeth on indie games. I mean, mostly you know, yeah, I mean, most voice actors, voice actors come from anime, like you know, they, mm-hmm. that's how they cut their teeth. But you know, you're you're kind of the exception to, the exception to that, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So so, how did you know, you know, how did uh, how did uh, you know? It's kind of weird. Oh, I'm trying to think how to word this. Um, mm. You know, uh, do, do you feel like, you know, being on on doing indie projects helped you get get ready for, you know, the and get get used to voiceover and how it works and and all the and the process and, and you know and all that stuff. Yeah, um, I I was also doing I did training and I was doing a lot of commercials or a fair number of commercials. Um, so yeah, I think indies did. I mean, indies are they're so different. I actually feel more like doing AAA kind of prepares you for indies, <laughs> ironically. Um, oftentimes because you don't have it's very rare that an indie has hired a voice director. Um, so the more that you work on on bigger projects that kind of throw a lot at you at once and the more you understand how the, the rhythm of a typical game session in that context where you have very little to kind of work with um, and the more you know about yourself and your instrument, like your range, like you know, AAA voiceover is really like a gauntlet. Um, it's it's a very technical thing to, to be able to do. So So I actually feel like I bring more from my AAA work into indie settings where maybe the devs I'm working with have beautiful experimental material. Um, just wonderful. They go places emotionally that you don't always get to go in AAA all the time. Um, but I tend to bring more of my own kind of self-possession as an artist to those sessions because if the indie doesn't quite know how to direct actors, they have this great material, but maybe they don't necessarily know how to direct actors or how to get the best out of me or they don't know how a session should run because it's their first time, then I can bring all of that knowledge and kind of I know how things work a bit to that session if they want, if they're looking for that. Um, and if not, that's fine. I'm, I'm putty in their hands. Um, so it's interesting. I actually feel like I bring more to indies now, um, than I did learning on indies for AAA. AAA is really kind of its own beast. Um, of course, all game sessions are fairly out of context and you're using your imagination and you don't have a scene partner and, um, scripts can come in at the last second. Um, but so there's, there's definitely some commonalities, but yeah, I think I, I think I wind up bringing more back from AAA to indies than the other way around. Especially in the case of Anthem, where you know you're the player character and you have all these different dialogue options, and you have to keep saying them in different ty- types of tones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like uh, for you? You know, being you know in in that you know Bioware uh, mm. protagonist role. I, it's still I'm still pinching myself. It's still hard to believe that that is one of the more like mind blowing experiences because I. You know, I played Knights of the Old Republic when I was in high school, and I loved Jennifer Hale's performance. And that was kind of the first time I—it wasn't the first time I thought about what voiceover 
can be and like how cool it is and how you can change your voice and, and be someone else that you would never get cast with otherwise that I'd kind of thought of before. But Knights of the Old Republic was the first time I kind of marveled at what what a pleasure it must be to have as a job and and performances that I really that really stuck with me and, and um, stayed with me as, as inspiration. Um, so from from Knights of the Old Republic through Jade Empire, through Mass Effect and Dragon Age, I mean, I played all of those really obsessively. And um, and they were a high watermark for performance and for storytelling. And they were always kind of in my bucket list of folks I wanted to work with when I moved out to L.A. from New York. Um, like I was literally playing Dragon Age Inquisition, um, you know, in my Airbnbs driving across the country by myself, trying to hoping that I would get to work with cool folks once I got to the other side, you know. So working with Caroline Livingstone, I mean, today's today's actually N7 day. <laughs> um, and it's uh, so I've been thinking about it a lot today. Um, yeah, it was Caroline Livingstone, who's their voice director and casting director. She's just such a treat. She's so wonderful. And it, and it shows in her, in the performances that I've connected with so much over the years, um, that she's just so actor minded. She has an actor's heart. She's very funny, very sharp. Um, and everyone that I worked with, the cinematic lead, the, you know, my, my, um, uh, what's it, I guess dialogue coordinator, um, Patrick, who's now at Insomniac. Um, there's, I just, I built really beautiful, lasting relationships with all the folks, including my actors, Nick Tarabay, who plays Halleck. I, he, I just saw him a couple, like a week ago. Um, I built friendships and working collaborations and grew as an artist by doing performance capture, which I'd always dreamed of doing. I mean, there's so many things. Like, I mean, I, you know, the, the reception is what it was, but, um, but as a working experience and as a, as a goal that I'd had in mind for so long, it still blows my mind. I'm really, really grateful. It was really a treat. I mean, not a lot of people can say that they, you know, worked on them in their lives (laughs) i can't it's a small club man it's a small club of people who are a a bioware protagonist i I, that out of all the you know folks on the planet who play and love these games like what a i I feel that blessing as a player um and as someone who who has lived you know in these who's lived in my imagination has chosen to dwell in these worlds you know for many hours and um yeah i mean it's like what it's it's maybe it's Jen, Alex, uh, both of whom are, are, you know, Alex Wilton Regan, uh, Jennifer Hale, Alex Wilton Regan, both of whom are very treasured friends to me now, um, mentors and friends. Um, I, I think, I guess, Frida Wolf um, as well. And um, what is that? It like and me? Is that it? I think that's it. That's uh, like Mark Mir. Hello. <laughs> oh well, there's the dudes, of course. But I mean, like for for yes, for the crew of lady voiceovers. Uh, who, oh oh, and Sumali Montano. Also, a very talented lady um, is your other option for a... And Joe Wyatt. Joe Wyatt is Dragon Age 2. Um, but yeah, like, I know these names. I know all of these things. Like, and very often on the soundstage, like, in the performance capture, um, on the volume, I would be, like, geeking out about all of these people. And, like, the Bioware folks were always shocked at all the weird, you know, trivia I knew. And, the cat, you know, I was like, I'm a, I'm a fan of other voice actors. And now that I'm casting and directing a little bit myself like i i get to i get to give them work which is even which is so exciting but yes being part of this very small cohort of actors who get to do this thing and kind of give a voice to players in these worlds is really a treat um but i i I mean i think you were sort of going in the direction of like what's that like to to voice to voice a protagonist in one of these games right is that right yeah yeah that's that's Yeah, like I, I, I do having played, you know, I had three different shepherds and I had, you know, two inquisitors, probably at least a couple. I've always had multiple protagonists in my Bioware games. Um, 
I know what it's like to it's it's an interesting act to serve the players and give them a specific but a roomy channel almost like an access channel into the game universe so that you are a consistent human um you're an authentic human but you also say you know you sometimes you can be flippant and cruel and other or or like you know impatient and other times you can be kind and empathic and um so your goal is to kind of set set those edges and give them a through line. For me, the through, the through line was, was loyalty and, and kind of a righteous sense of protection. You're, you're fighting to protect the people in, in Tarsus and, and elsewhere. Um, and you are fighting for your friends and fighting to, to, to heal those relationships in some cases and, and deepen them. Um, so yeah, it's, there's that, that I think is a much more nerve wracking responsibility <laughs> than, than, than any old franchise job. Um, when you know that your player characters are a special beast. Very definitely a special beast. I mean, especially considering you know Anthem is a new IP, so it wasn't like you know mm-hmm. it wasn't like a Mass Effect spinoff or a Dragon Age spinoff mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you you know you. I were... mean, I think I probably would have been more nervous jumping into a Mass Effect protagonist, knowing that I was even more going to be compared even more directly to Jennifer. <laughs> I think I think starting a new IP was a little bit more like okay, this can be me, whatever I am, <laughs> you know. Um. Because yeah, I want to be in her club, but I don't want to be the lesser Jen. That would be that would be terrible. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, say what you will about you know Mass Effect Andromeda, but you know, I did enjoy you know Frida Wolf's performance in that. She was great. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, she's you know I've had her on, and she's she's a ooh, she's she's an awesome she's an awesome awesome person to talk to. She's right very now. colorful, very fierce. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's she's she she just does not give a shit, and I love that about her. <laughs> yeah, man. As actors, you know, you you the more authentic you are to yourself, the better actor you'll be. Because you once you can sniff out BS, you have to eliminate it. That's your job. So I feel like actors who really are at the top of their game, the ones that I admire the most, are able to just really be fully be themselves. Because they don't have time or interest in being anything else, and they know that no one else has time or interest in it from them either, you know? Yeah, and I kind of, you know, that's what I love about, you know, voiceover in general is that, you know, there's no BS in it. I mean, there is, like, kind of, but, like, there's not a lot of it. Like, I never heard, like, stories about egos or stuff like that from, like, voice from the voiceover world. It's, they're very few and far between, and I think when people know that about someone, they don't really hang, like, it's a kind of a close-knit crew, um, for better and worse, maybe it seems a little nichey, but, um, but if you're good, people really respond to that. Um, and there are lots of other good humans in voice acting. And I think the bad eggs kind of start to, start to kind of feel a little isolated ultimately. Um, because yeah, there's no, there's, it's, it's, I mean, people say that there's just, there's just more ego and on camera, maybe it's your face or you get hyped up for, for some reason or something where we all know that we're in service of a greater story. We're in service of this other you know, character that might not be anything like us in real life or something. And there is something a little bit humble about it and humbling about it. And if you can't hang with that, you're going to be, have kind of a short run, I think. I mean, yeah, because, you know, you're not going to walk in there and say, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, you're going to cast me for the main role because I'm so good or something. Like no, that. no, no, 
And you're like, I mean, if you're on a performance capture stage, you're in a goofy looking suit with dumb looking balls all over it. Like you're going to, you know, if you if you ever watch me in a voiceover booth, like I am very unguardedly silly looking um, when I, even when I'm trying to be serious and I just don't care. I just don't care how it looks because you it doesn't matter how it looks. I don't have to look cool while making whatever noise. I can look as weird as I need to in order to make that noise. Um, and you get very, very comfortable with that. Um, even in life, I walk around and I don't, I think that small, like if I stub my toe or something, I might make like, you know, maybe a very juvenile <laughs> like noise. And I no longer censor myself, even when I'm not on the job, just as a habit. I, I need to listen. I want to listen to what it sounds like. I want to let it, I want to remove any reflex that keeps it inside. Like I need to use all these things for my job. And if I'm caught up in how I look or in seeming cool every time I do it, that's going to waste my time. It's going to waste other people's time. It's, it's, yeah, there's, I love that about voiceover. It just, you have to be comfortable looking real dumb. (laughs) It's very, it's very good. And that, that kind of neutralizes a lot of big egos, I think, or should. I mean, yeah, especially considering like, you know, what you're doing at the end of the day, you're just walking into a booth and you know, you're, you know, reading lines, but you know, Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like clutching my stomach and making all kinds of odd noises and trying to imagine what certain things sound like that don't even have a noise. Like, I mean, if you get, for example, if you get sniped in the head, you wouldn't make a noise. But we need to, but you know, sometimes the, the game needs to indicate that you've, needs to make one up so that the player knows that you're down. Like, so sometimes you just make up sounds. I mean, many of, you know, the more creative deaths in games can be totally wild and you have no, Nothing. You can, it's not like you can go look up the sound that it is, like getting cleaved in half by a battle axe and then set on fire and then whatever, you know, shot out of a cannon. You just have to make it up. You have to give your best guess. And a lot of folks, when they come from other mediums, um, they get stuck on that sometimes or they don't have that muscle of just like going with your best guess and not inhibiting yourself in any way whatsoever and then doing it again differently, but also, you know, usably. Um, so, yeah, that's I, I love that about our job. I love it a lot. It's really fun. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I remember listening to an interview with Crispin, Crispin Freeman, and and when he was asked, you know, to do great. to yeah. do uh, Helios's death scene in in God of War three, he's like, okay, what would it sound like if my head was being ripped off? Right. You know. Right. Right. Crispin's great. Yeah, yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's a he's very knowledgeable about the business. Like he's you know, mm-hmm. very knowledgeable smart dude <laughs> oh he's great he's ex- oh yes he's exceedingly smart Crispin is exceedingly smart and I've worked with him very closely um, over the last few years in developing new contracts with the union um, like the low budget contract the, the same one used by After Party actually and Eliza which I was in that came out this summer a visual novel um, where the water tastes like wine um, I think all the indies basically that I've done lately um, have been on this new contract um, independent like a low budget contract for video games and Crispin was instrumental I mean it was his he suggest, he brought it up before I even kind of became more involved in the, in the union um, and then we worked together closely to make it make sense to kind of get a lot of feedback and um, tune it just right so that it would be really usable for people um, Crispin is invaluable um, for that he's just he's really business savvy very like his parents he'll tell anyone his parents are lawyers he has a mind for this stuff um, yeah, we're really lucky to have Crispin um, engaged in the business this way because he's very helpful. And you know, speaking of Al- and a great voice, I'm like that. Yeah, <laughs> Alucard, come on, man. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of after party, I've actually been playing that recently, and I am just amazed. Oh, have you? I'm just amazed at how great everything is in that game. Like the writing is so Yay! good, and the writing is so good. I love it. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, thank you for playing. That makes me so happy. I love that game so much. It was so much fun to do. No, oh my I mean, god. Because I, I, I looked up the cast and I'm like, Dave Fenoyce as Satan? Sold. Right? <laughs> Sold. <I know>. Right? <laughs> right? And then I get to be his sister. Like, that's bananas. That's so bananas. He's great. He's so good. I, I Dave Fenoyce, what a treasure. I, I love his uh, Satan. It, he's so down to earth. Yeah, I mean, he's it's, one... it's basically Dave Fenoy, the person as Satan. And I'm like, that is so brilliant. Why didn't we think of this sooner? Well, he has, he does this beautiful job and it's exactly what the text kind of calls for, where he has this, a slightly kind of like regal, just a, like a slightly more enunciated kind of regality to him that befits kind of the king, essential king of hell. I mean, the, the, you know, the Lord of hell. Um, but at the same time, the writing demands a certain colloquial down to earth kind of like contemporary sense of humor at times. So the, the juxtaposition of both of those things is just what makes it so delightful. Um, so he'll be, he has a slightly grandiose, just a little bit of, you know, refinement in there. Um, uh, but at the same time, he's talking about being hammer faced and, you know, <laughs> you know, and like out drinking people and swearing up a storm. No, I mean, it's I, great. I, I, I love it. Same way. I know. I mean, I love the game because there's like so many multiple layers to, to the story and, and the characters and, mm-hmm. and, and I, and I love your character in that. I mean, I recently uh, finished, oh, you know, you. Her, her quest and. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much. Oh, I, I love your performance in that. It's, it's so serious. But but and, and kind of you know sad at the same time. It's hard to put into words. So, you know. Thank you so much. That's very nice of you to say. That thank you. I love her. She's it was interesting. It was fun finding her. Um, because I yeah I wasn't sure how like silky or wry or big. Like we 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 spent a lot of time looking for her power. Um. You know, because games sometimes call for like a big voice to sound very powerful, but they wanted her to like play everything very very close to the vest and and to kind of make you come to her and i think that's a very cool kind of quiet power um that's very effective and and i think very you see it often in life and um i think sort of trusting that to come across that she's that she kind of knows what's up and wields kind of you know uh abilities and, and influence um that you only kind of can guess at um without having to like force it or push it um in some way um was really cool it was very very cool um i like her a lot and that that storyline that whole storyline really spoke to me because i have had some experience with that sort of thing and it was really intense and wonderful to get a chance to kind of work through it in the booth i mean and it's and it's interesting because you know her character is pretty you know serious compared to the other cast members who are you know wacky and, and whatnot wacky but, yeah less wacky yeah, yeah yeah but it doesn't seem out of place it fits the universe which is just so hard to do as a writer like it's so mm. hard trying to find like the right voice for a character and to to give them to make them feel as part of the universe and not just okay this mm-hmm. is a, this character only exists because i thought it was cool to because I wanted this person in a role, mm-hmm. and that's why they exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're so good at um, their tone is really distinct and coherent throughout the game um, as writers, and then everyone has layers of depth and surprise to them. Everyone's got a little bit of an edge of something that's more than just kind of hilarious jokes all the time. I mean, it is super punchy and funny. I mean, the funniest script I've probably ever worked on, but um, but everyone has a bit of a heart, has a bit of a darkness. And a bit of a lightness too. They're like they're, they're just such wonderful writers, and all their characters have really lovely dimension. Even though, I mean, I play a secondary character, um, 
who probably isn't credited on IMDb at all, but uh, her name is Eliza, um, and she's part of one of the earlier puzzles um, involving Fila, I think, or Fela. Um, and she, even her, like she's in there for, she's just part of this small scene. Um, and she's, you know, she's got like an accent. She has a, an English accent and she's totally drunk and she sings a bit. Um, but even she has like layers of sadness and kind of like, a, a, you know, a bit of her backstory that's, that makes her more interesting. So I love, that's what I love about genre, adventure games in general and sort of story driven games where there's, there's room and there's care and, and, and like a, a focused part of the experience is, that nuance is that that kind of like dimensionality to every character that you meet. Um, I think that's a really unique feature of that genre. Um, that's why I've always loved adventure games very, very, very much. Um, they were like my earliest inspiration was LucasArts adventure games. So um, I always think that's a really special opportunity that they ha- have for actors. Yeah, I mean, and, and players. And it's been like a long time since I played like a legit adventure game, and that's not just mm. you know. And el- the illusion of an, av- an adventure game. This is like an adventure game, like from start to finish. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I think where your, anytime your main mechanics, anytime your gameplay is about just like people, just people, dealing with people, drinking with people, talking to people, is it, it just gives um, actors just thrive. We just love that stuff because it always means that the, the people are the focus and the people are going to be the surprise and the people are going to be the puzzle. And, uh, that just makes it very human and very interesting. I mean, it's, it's, and that's what, and that's what's so great about it. It's like, you know, that's so, what's so great about indies is like, you know, you can, you know, go beyond, you know, having yeah. one dimensional mm-hmm. characters that, that, you know, cause, cause a lot of AAA titles are like, ah, who cares about the story? Let's just, you know, do whatever. But but you know mm-hmm. indies like they they think that 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 shit out and and you know they really develop these characters and, and make them stick out in, in in your mind and think about and it's and I've just been thinking about yeah. the, this game for God like ever since I played it because like there's ah, so, like because there's so many like little details I, I've noticed like especially like going back and, and looking at some footage on YouTube it's like huh I did not notice mm. that but they put it in there. Mm. And that's great. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of little details that I won't catch on the first playthrough or just little jokes that I didn't discover. And that is another lovely thing about adventure games is going back and, you know, people always say they don't have replay value, but I I disagree. I always think there's little details and jokes and corners that you haven't, you know, that you haven't found yet. And also just spending time with those people again, you kind of come to be really fond of them and getting to spend a little more time with them, even if you know it's coming, is always kind of a treat. You know, Walking Dead, come on. That's <laughs> pretty much mm, Sure. Dead. Oh, my God. I was just, I was on a stream earlier today um, with Sissy and Aaron and Ash and John Lippow, who plays Beelzebub, and um, and we were all talking about Walking Dead, and I was like, uh, I was like, hey, Sissy, and I, I asked the, because the guy who was hosting the stream was, I think, in their cinematics team at Telltale. So I was like, are you responsible for this? Are you responsible? Sissy, is that you? And so Sissy <laughs> is one of these characters in 400 Days, right? Um, which is the DLC for season one, I guess. Um, uh, Sissy is like, Sissy turned out to be like, I, I literally fainted on a train playing this chapter um, because there's a, there's a moment you're running through a cornfield and like you, someone surprises you and you hit them in the face with a rebar. Um, and then you have this like extended you know, dialogue choosing, you know, you know, the game's paused while you're trying to decide what to say to this person whose face is literally crushed by rebar. Um, and I was like, and, and Sissy was like, that's me. And I was like, what? That was you? That's bananas. 
I was so lucky that my friend was with me on that train ride or I would not have gotten off at the right stop. It was really intense. Yeah. But yeah, the, these, the thing is, the games are so, these games are so involving. I was so, I was so bodily and emotionally invested in the story that I like literally passed out, <laughs> you know. Oh, the Clementine sequence where she has to stitch up a wound in like the first episode of season yeah. two. Ugh. <laughs> first time playing that. Ugh, oh, boy. Clem. Clem, what a warrior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> goddess like they did not shy away from the gore and it's not like you know gratuitous god of war type gore it's it's realistic gore which mm. i think makes it disturbing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also just psychological i mean i find for me i find that immersion is more likely to make me faint or really creep me out or scare me than um than, exp- than blood and guts necessarily. It has more to do with the world that you've built and how much I care about these characters and how, you know, how present I feel in that moment in time in that space that you've created with your with your film language or your game language. That always has more to do with whether, whether or not. Because I, I have a history. If my blood sugar is low, I might faint. <laughs> That's a thing that I do sometimes. Um, but it's not necessarily in like like in Kill Bill. I'm okay. It's so stylized that I'm like fine. But then in Get Out, I was like so. In, you know, immersed in 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 the sunken place and, and in in this story that like as soon as we got to the end, I was like, huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really powerful. Storytelling changes your physiology. It changes your it changes so much. I mean, it can be so it's such a powerful medium um, that we all that we share that connects us to each other. Oh, oh man, yeah, man. To, but to... yes, no. Some game game designers are not afraid of hitting those buttons. <laughs> no, I mean, to me, it's like it's more effective to have like you know realistic gore and not you know mortal Kombat style gore where you know, have people like ripping people's mm-hmm. heads off and stuff like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah for me it's like it's almost like something like he- stitching up your own wound or like surgery for me it's almost worse when i have to imagine and internalize the pain of the character that i'm watching um the more internal it is the more likely i am to like absorb it and take it on <laughs> and then like if i can see it it's like ah it's fine <laughs> you, know, you know so uh whew surgery scenes just like people describing injuries can sometimes be enough it's bonkers no i mean you know i don't know if you've ever played the dead space games but i think to me the the one i probably couldn't i hear they're great no i mean one the only sequence that made me like legit flinch is the eye puzzle in two and i Mm, I don't even know what that is (laughs) and those that have sounds terrible and those that have played um Dead Space 2 would know that puzzle. And and I remember the mm. first time doing that, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> mm, sounds like I would die. <laughs> it's it's even worse when you um, fail it and you see the aftermath of that. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to look this I hereby swear not to look this up after I get off this podcast. That would be... Uh, I wouldn't go to sleep tonight. That would be bad. Uh, no, no, but you know, speaking of moments like that, have there have there actually been moments where you know you you, you you know got like a legit reaction from a game like that that made you go? Ugh, ugh. Uh, I think Walking Dead, fainting in Walking Dead was probably the only time that I've really watching Last of Us. I would never have played Last of Us if I hadn't watched my then boyfriend play through it first. Um, because it is so tense. Oh my God. And I'm so glad I did. Like if it had been me playing on my own for the first time, I I don't know if I would have made it through it, but, um, thankfully he was there and he was good at the game and, um, I could watch him and we could be there together. So 
Um, so after I watched him play it, I was able to play through it like two or three times probably, um, with increasing difficulty, uh, on my own. Um, so I'm lucky for that. Um, what other games have really spooked me? I mean, Left 4 Dead. Left 4 Dead freaks the hell out of me. Um, both of them, terrifying. I'm so glad that, that Valve didn't ultimately go, because I know at one point they were developing a biofeedback me- mechanic, because they have this thing called the director in, in the Left 4 Deads, right, that is like an AI that kind of calibrates the difficulty and will create instances of, of like, it'll drop baddies and things based on how you're playing. If you're doing too well, it'll make it harder and, you know, vice versa. Um, and I think at one point they did actually implement, they were testing something that would measure your heart rate um, so that if you were really freaking out, maybe they'd make it worse or something, Um or vice versa. If you were really chill, maybe they would do whatever. Um, but it, it turned out, I think they, the results were just that it was too intense. <laughs> that using your heart rate, using players' actual heart rate to like tune their difficulty was actually way too overwhelming. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those those games have freaked me out good and proper. I watched a lot of Alien Isolation as oh, well. God. That was spooky. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I can't play horror games, and I wish I could because some of the, it's some of the most psychologically rich and interesting and dark and, and kind of vulnerable storytelling we have, um, Last of Us included. So um, so I kind of wish I had the stomach for it because there's a lot of really interesting characters that go through there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, to me, I'm more of a psychological horror, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, fan, but you know, I will. You know, if a jump scare, you know, gets me, it gets me. You know. <laughs> oh sure, things have given me heart attacks, and I've grabbed. I have a bad habit. It's my mother, actually. I think my brother's <laughs> hates when this when he sits next to me in movies for this because I totally do this, and my mother totally did this. When I like freak out, I jump and I grab whoever's next to me. So I'll like grab his shoulder and dig my nails in, and he'll be like, "What? Are you, what's wrong with you?" And I'm like, "I got scared. I'm sorry." Um. So yeah, I'm very spookable. Very, I don't, and I don't enjoy the sensation of being scared very much. Some people really love that thrill. Um, I don't enjoy being scared very much. I would rather be not that. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and can I say, fuck the person who decided to make uh, Man Bat's introduction in, in Arkham Knight a jump scare, because that fucking scared the mm. shit out of me. <laughs> uh, I don't think I saw that. I was watching my brother play Arkham Knight, but I did not see that. I don't think I saw that part. Because, you know. So you, it's a you, big you, old jump scare? Yeah, it's a jump scare. His introduction is a jump scare, and, Ugh, there, and then God. there's a there there was like another moment that sh- that really gave me almost gave me a heart attack, where I was like you know running yeah. away from like the, the militia and I was like running 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 and then like uh, the joke pops up pops up and screams in my yeah. face and I'm like oh god, <laughs> hey guys, that game was very I was well, yeah I really liked some of the there's some fun storytelling in that one I liked the sort of like almost Bioshocky kind of theatrical really theatrical um they, they and anytime they kind of go into batman's illusion world um and sort of being haunted by people it, it's there's something very there's something about that series that lends itself to these really baroque kind of grand theatrical visions and and people and 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 sometimes that results in really interesting storytelling techniques that's that are really really fun and very arty and and cool um so all that stuff with the joker was i thought i thought was pretty Pretty fun. No, I mean, I, um, I, 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 I talked. To, I've talked to people who've been on, in the Arkham games, and I did t- did talk about saying, you know, Arkham Knight. The opening was just no one expected that opening. <laughs> Nobody. Mm, I got it. Yeah, sounds like I got to go back and make my brother replay the opening. 
<laughs> when you're in the diner and then everything goes to hell. Oh, mm. boy. <laughs> I see. Gosh, yeah, I popped in somewhere in the middle and saw, saw bits and pieces, so I got I to gotta make him go. I'm going to force him to do that or play it myself. I should play it myself. Um, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, how's it, how's it feel like to be, you know, being a fan of video games and be, being able, uh, you know, working in the industry as well? My gosh. I don't know if I fully, and I've experienced this tension a lot on, on Anthem. Like, I don't know if I fully, <laughs> tell me if this makes sense. I don't know that I've, like, successfully synthesized those two people. Like, there's the me that's a fan, and then there's me that's a, a professional, and and there are definite moments in the booth where I giggle a lot. I had a session last week where I like, you know, out of nowhere, like unprompted, just started giggling, like <laughs> because it's because of my job, because of my job, because of what I was there to do, because what I get to do. So there's definite times where I'm on the job where I just start laughing with joy. Um, so that's one piece. But I think this, you know, sometimes I also have to like, I can't spend time in that mode fully because I have to kind of focus on the task at hand. Cause again, there's that sense of like, that's, that's another thing of the tension where like, if I'm, if I'm too much in that headset when I'm on the job that I'm already thinking ahead to the game when it's out and whatever that that's going to be. And I don't know what that is. That's kind of taking me away from the job at hand, which is just to imagine what, what the world is and listen to the director and be very, very, very present um, and focus entirely on the moment that I'm in. Um, so I think for that reason, I don't often, I feel like they're two different people. There's the me that loves playing games and dreamed about doing this forever. Um, and then there's the me that shows up on a day of work and feels happy and satisfied and focused and committed and, um, tired and worn out and, and all the things, um, that come with doing this job. So yeah, I think maybe one day they'll feel like the same person, but right now it's almost like there's, I send one away to do the other's work (laughs) and then I get to return to being the other person when I come home. (laughs) And how and how weird was it, you know, for first time playing Anthem and listening to yourself as as the main character? So trippy, just trippy, man, trippy. And we re, we went back and and redid that opening sequence, um, which I was so grateful for. I think people sometimes people are like, you know, they get worried when they do that too much and. But I always appreciate when people wanna or they get, you know, like, oh, we got it the first time. Like, why are you having me do this again? I'm always, excuse me, I'm always really grateful when. Um, I feel like I can trust the people that I'm working with to get it perfect or to get it as close to perfect as we can. And so if they feel like we can do it better and there's something that needs to shift and we can get it um, closer to what it should be, uh, I'm very happy to do that. I just want it to be the best it can be also. Um, so we worked hard on that opening and, I, and there's a lot of work in it that I, I think I like. Um, and she needed to be in a different place than she was going to be later in the game because, you know, the game moves forward um, a number of years after that opening sequence. Um, but yeah, it's surreal. My job is very frequently, very surreal. (laughs) Um, that's probably the most surreal it's ever been. As soon as like, it was like, choose your voice in, in game. It was like, you know, choose your voice. And I heard my own voice come out and it was like, what is happening? (laughs) Um, is there an option to pick Jen Hale, please? (laughs) Oh yeah. Right. Like where's Jen? Oh goodness. She's, she is such a treasure. I will, I will hype her forever. I mean, I met her. Just quick sidebar about Jen Hale. I, I mean, I met her in 2011, I think, at a contest, at a voiceover contest that was part of a conference. I hadn't intended to enter the contest. It was like, it was just part of the conference. It was this lottery, and then I made it to the finals of something. And my coach who ran the conference knew that I was a huge fan of Jennifer's, and so she paired me with Jen for coaching because the finals was like, 
you were going to do the final audition in front of the entire conference. And before that, you're going to get coached by an expert. And so Jennifer was my expert, which blew my mind. Um, and in those five minutes, I discovered that not only was she this incredible Olympian, you know, actor that I admired, but she was also so good at translating her own process and her own insight into, into teaching, into coaching someone. Um, she had, you know, tips that were practical and technical, and she had tips that were emotional and psychological and how to kind of create your best work by taking care of yourself and understanding how to, to kind of like not get in your own way. So she's just extraordinary. And so she invited me to stay in touch, which I definitely did because I was a huge fan. Um, and from there, like I, I got a chance to watch her work at one point, come to a session. She helped, you know, uh, give me advice about, uh, you know, career stuff if I needed, you know, when I was getting close to moving out to L.A. and just pushing me to move out to L.A. She changed my I mean, my God, she told me she was like, you need to be. She, what do you do for exercise. I was like, I play video games and I order pizza. <laughs> I was like living in New York and I was like, I don't do anything anymore. I used to dance. I don't do anything. And she was like, that's got to change. You have to be in shape to do this job. And I was like, okay. And so I, I got, I downloaded zombies run and I tried to start running and I, I've had a running routine. It's a little broken now, but I've been running since 2013 because Jennifer Hale told me I had to get in shape. So yeah, I mean, she's just been Amazing. And she put in a good word with me for, uh, for me at my, at my agency, um, our agency, SBV, who I love. Um, they're amazing. They, they're such wonderful champions. So she's just been, she's like, this, I would happily turn this into the Jennifer Hale podcast, but like she is so kind and generous and good hearted and fierce and protective. Um, and just wonderful. She's really, she just really wants to extend herself to the next generation of folks. Um, you know, anyone coming behind her and kind of create a, a strong interconnected community. Um, she's like a really special, good person in addition to being an amazing, amazing artist. So hooray for Jen Hale. <laughs> no, I, I love Jen Hale as someone who grew up with, with her work as a kid and, and, you yeah. know, and, mm -hmm. and almost Me like, too. I almost I almost had a heart attack when when I did a podcast with someone who was on Mortal Kombat, and I saw that you know you know she put out you know, she, you know they retweeted my my tweet saying okay I talked about Mortal Kombat in this episode check it out and then Jen Hale retweeted that retweet and I'm like oh. yeah <laughs> senpai noticed me <laughs> oh I know right oh my god that's us that's literally all of us with Jennifer that's all of us. It's just senpai, please. Oh my god, I love you. Yeah. No, because because I'm like, oh well, that's the closest I'm gonna get to, to her noticing. <laughs> oh, she's just she's so good. She's you know she's amazing. She was just in a um, she spoke on a panel at an event that I was really hoping a lot of folks would show up to, and and some folks did come, and the feeling of solidarity was just so nice. It was an event um, at the Actors Union um, at SAG-AFTRA hosting um, Game Workers Unite, which is this contingent of folks who are, in, you know, investigating and helping to move forward this movement toward um, uh, or drive initiative toward unionizing game developers. Um, and so I, I feel personally that as a if that's, you know, whatever the game development journey toward self-advocacy um, is going to be, um, I'm, I want to be there to help. And if it's a union, then I'm in one and we should be talking and helping. Um, so we had this event that was like a, a co-event for those two groups to kind of just meet and talk and share information and get to know each other. And Jen was on the panel. And of course, I was like so thrilled when I found that out. I was like, if anyone can inspire everybody and get them fired up and get them passionate about making change and, and kind of being better 
to each other and for each other. It's Jen. So, um, yeah, she's, she's, she's precious. Um, and I love that she's able to play, you know, you know, Commander Shepard, who's, you know, this tough, you know, badass, mm. uh, you know, space, mm-hmm. uh, space a captain. But like when you mm-hmm. listen to her talk, she's so down to earth and grateful. And oh, just... yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's she's warm and funny and silly and strong um, that, you know, that range that she is capable of showing in her work is is in her as a person. You know, she's all of those things. I mean, she's not in no way pretentious or remote but she's also totally powerful (laughs) she's very powerful um no doubt about that so she's all of the things and i think that's what makes her such a such a talented and long you know have have a career with such longevity and and variety in it um it's because it's due to her as a as a person and yeah and yes when ash did come out for overwatch i became an ash main so there you go nice good 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 Good, good, good. I'm like, we're mm-hmm. Ash Maids now because it's Jennifer Hale. Because it's Jen. We love her. <laughs> and yes, I, I even like in Mortal Kombat 11, I, I, I have the, the announcer set up to Kronika because it's Jen. So mm. there you go. Mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> Yay, lady. Long may she reign. Uh, she, she's great. And... Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's so, it's, you know, must be like, God, I'm so jealous that you get you get you got a chance to be you know taken under under her wing like that because that's you know that's that's, mm. that's another it's a thing. privilege. Yeah, that's another thing that you won't find in like on camera stuff. Like very nope. rarely you'll you'll see someone take like the totally the younger people coming in under their wing. They'll be like, ah, fuck off! I'm not I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, or defensive or protective. Um, yeah, I mean, no, she. I th- I totally think that. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it's rarer. People are more sort of turf based and whatever about their you know about themselves or their career or whatever um, in other mediums possibly, but in in games, all the you know some of the truly the most inspiring, talented people that I know are women and men both in in this space in in voiceover and in games both um just full of really people who make me want to be a better person and that I want to protect and fight for and help um because we and it becomes a culture of of that of protecting and defending each other and getting each other work and and exposure and giving each other opportunities because we love each other as people and we love you know we are eager to see what the other person's going to do as an artist um I'm very, very lucky. I feel really lucky to know these people and to work with them and alongside them. And yeah, really, it's a good, it's a good crew. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, you know, there's that sense of family that you don't find in anywhere else, which I think is mm. just so great. And it's lucky too because we don't get to meet each other on the job. <laughs> like, like I get to meet these people slowly over the course of outside kind of socializing. Because we don't get to work with each other. That's the only thing about my job that is tough sometimes and why I loved working on getting to do performance capture on Anthem is because I just never get to actually act with them. Um, we did we did do a bunch of table reads at PAX with Sissy um, and Aaron Yvette, uh, Sissy Jones and Aaron Yvette, both of whom I am huge fans of, um, and, and, and a, a couple of other folks, Jake Green, Armin Taylor, Christina V, um, Kritzia Bajos. Um, yeah, just really, really good folks and, and getting to read some of these scripts live at PAX was like so much fun because we actually got to act with each other. It was like such a special, delicious, lovely thing. So rare. I wish we got to do more of that. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's listened to this show knows that I give out about this a lot where I'm like, you know, 
a booth can 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 hold up to seven people now. I don't know why he can't just get like seven mm-hmm. people. Too. Yeah. I know. I mean, this is one of the things I'm constantly advocating for is like just is encouraging game developers to think about the things that make performances better um, for actors, Uh, not just I was just tweeting about this the other day, not just focusing on the technology of capture, like, are we getting all of the detail from this actor's performance? But like, what are we doing as a process? What information are we giving them? What tools are we giving them? What other collaborators are we giving them to make their actual performance itself the best it can be? Um, And obviously acting together is certainly one of those things. I mean, sometimes it's like scheduling is hard and the script is nonlinear and there's reasons logistically why that's difficult to pull off. Um, But I think if you're very, very strategic about it, like you pick the scenes that really matter or you or you play, even if you just play back someone else's performance for you to react to. Like there's there's kind of ways of being very purposeful about it and precise about it where you don't have to like pull off, you know, it doesn't have to be ensemble for every scene for the whole thing or something. Um, there's ways of doing it that make a lot of sense um, or can make sense. And I encourage people to think about just whatever opportunity they can to, to do something like that because it really makes a difference I mean, especially in our performance. I mean, they always say acting is reacting, right? So. Yeah. No, I mean, especially if you're playing like a character who's two characters or who are meant to be best friends and you're not with, with that other person. Then, yeah. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sometimes it's enough for us Sometimes, or it's not enough, but sometimes it helps us to know who, you know, the more, I mean, for a while, I guess probably I would, this wouldn't have helped me, but now that I know a lot of my peers or some of my peers, um, if you tell me who's cast in this thing, sometimes I can picture them delivering it. Sometimes I just know them and kind of what they might bring to the role. And that that's enough to kind of at least draw on my fondness for them or my knowledge of them. Um, so that, it, you know, when I, when I give my lines, it sounds like I know this person or it sounds like I care about them, you know? And then do you do that? Do you, like, you know, take notes, you know, of, of other people's performances in media? Do, what, do I take notes of other people's performances? No, I mean, t- I mean you know, uh, take notes is like, uh, you know, uh, find out what you can learn about certain things that you didn't know from, from, person perform- from a person's performance is what I'm trying to say. I don't know. I, still, I don't know if I still get it. I mean, do you mean, do I, do I play other things and 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 make yeah, note yeah. of people's performance yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah i mean i become fans of people I, of all the time i mean i i have less time to play games than i used to um i still love them very much um and when i do play them i kind of binge hard on them but um uh but when i play games and i hear people that i like i mean i tend to I, I, like i grew up i do the same thing i did when i was 12, you know, looking people up on IMDb and, and finding out who, who was the one who was in that, who gave that performance and who was that character because they were so good. Um, I just, um, played Eliza, which I was in. I'm in for two seconds. Um, this summer, uh, came out this summer, a visual novel. Um, and I think the lead in that game, uh, her name is Eileen Kay. And I hadn't heard her in anything before. And I was like, who is this woman? She's amazing. Um, I loved her performance. It was very, very subtle and very nuanced. Um, but very, very mature. Um, it's beautiful, just beautiful. And so, yes, I, I still, because I'm a fan, like I still look up who these people are and I remember who they are and I look forward to their work and I get excited when I hear about them being in other things and excited to recognize them in, in other games. And so, yeah, I, I am a fan of voice actors, of other voice actors. Um, and it makes, it makes it all the more fun to then be part of their community, I think. Uh, Say that you're you're just you're just like me. Where every time I, I listen to mm-hmm. someone, I'm like, oh, who did that? Who did that voice? I know that voice. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh, I love that. Kindred. 
Mm-hmm. My 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 boyfriend used to um my ex my ex used to be uh he he would just laugh because this is such a me thing to do. Um and other people have pointed this out to me too. Even when we were watching TV um and like a small supporting character like a, maybe a character actor who never has like big roles but has done a lot of work and shows up for like 5 minutes and then leaves and I, if i really like love them and remember them like i'll be like oh my god what are you doing here like I'll, like i'll like there's like their friends surprising me like i'll watch i'll see someone in a scene on a tv show and i'll be like oh my god hello <laughs> i didn't know you were going to be here <laughs> um old pal um so yeah i'm 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 very much a fan of other actors and no matter what size role they do, um, I, I just love good work and I love surprising work and I love people who know exactly how to capture the tone of the project and who just know exactly what they're doing. It's always so inspiring to see. So yeah, big actor fan. Well, I mean, now speaking of voice actors, now I gotta, now I gotta ask this question: rankings. Who are, mm. who are your, who are your? Oh, personal I could, well, now that I've <laughs> talked about them being my friends, I can't rank them. Um. I mean, I will, I will say, I won't rank them, but I will say that there have been a couple performances that inspired me to do this. So that'll be the way that I answer. Um, when I first, the first time I remember realizing what voiceover was, uh, or what the potential of it was, was playing full throttle, um, when I was in probably middle school. Um, and realizing that Mark Hamill, speaking of the Joker, um, was Rip Burger. He was the villain in that game. And he had a very deep, sort of threatening, like evil fucking corporate. Excuse me, can I swear? I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, you can swear. swear. I don't care. <laughs> okay, I was like, oh, sorry. Um, he plays like this very sinister, very, very sinister villain. And I was like a huge Star Wars fan, had been since like I was tiny, since like, I don't know, I was eight. Um, and when I realized that Luke Skywalker was this like mean corporate fat cat, I was like, what is this? What's happening? Um, so just that versatility and command and, and ultimately his Joker. I mean, ultimately his, his Joker is just so extraordinary. Um, you know, the, the way that in particular his laugh, like Joker has so many laughs and some of them are deep and guttural and rolling and some of them are high cackles and there's so much texture and all of those laughs are so different and so authentic. They're so surprising and true. Um, and that, that's sometimes a hard thing to do. I mean, you know, when laughing is, is one of those things that's so indicative of a character and it comes from such an instinctive place and like, and, and can often set the tone or like define who that character is, how they laugh. Um, and so the fact that he has all of these different laughs and all of them are the Joker's laugh are, is just so extraordinary. He's amazing. So Mark Hamill in that, in that game blew my mind, Jennifer Hale in Knights of the Old Republic. And then obviously a shepherd, um, blew my mind. Um, Nathan, uh, Nathan Drake. So Nolan North as Nathan Drake, um, blew my mind just the naughty dog in general and discovering uncharted in general and the performances in that series and then again in last of us i mean ashley johnson in last of us um and troy in last of us troy baker in last of us um but yeah but nolan i think before then i mean before i had even committed to game voiceover full time i was doing theater in new york i knew i loved games i knew i loved game voiceover i wasn't sure how big a role it would play in my life in my professional life and then i watched all of uncharted i met richard lamartian who was co-lead game designer on those games at PAX by accident because my mom told me to walk up to him. She saw he had a speaker badge and my mom literally stage mommed me into talking to this guy. She was like, go ask him what he's talking about. I was like, no, that's rude. We're at breakfast in a hotel. This is terrible. Um, but I did. And Richard Lamarchand is the nicest guy in games. So I could not have done it to a nicer person has endless time for people. So gracious, so kind. 
so because of him, I am meeting him. He, he said that he worked on Uncharted. And I was like, he's like, what do you do? I was like, I'm an actor. And he's like, oh, we do nice things with actors. I was like, oh, cool. And then I went home and was like, oh, my God, they really do. Blew my mind. Changed my life. I watched all of Uncharted on YouTube. And I was blown away by the by the collaboration, by the subtlety, by the naturalism, the humor. Um, everything that Naughty Dog was doing seemed like the future of, of a medium that I could really commit full time to, not just for the fun of being in games in principle, but for the for the actual experience of working on them as being rewarding because they were clearly doing ensemble stuff. Um, and the results were just so, so wonderful. Um, and so new. Um, so yeah, so Noel, Nathan Drake and that game, um, really changed my life. Um, because after that I was like, yes, I think I can commit to games full time. I can make this my whole focus. I can get, I can do other stuff, you know, for, for other reasons, for fun, but I, I feel purpose and hope in committing to this space. So yeah, Nathan Drake for sure. Uh, I said, Jen, I said, Mark, who else, who else, who else? I mean, yeah, I mean, those were the those were the ones that kind of set me on this path. And there have been many, many, many performances since then that I've gone gaga for and, and found inspiring. Yuri Lowenthal in Spider-Man last, just last year um, blew my, not even blew my mind, blew my heart open. I mean, he's just, what a beautiful, vulnerable, sweet, funny, just ex- perfect, perfect Spider-Man. Um I, I really fell head over heels for that performance, and, I, and it was technical. His spidey is technical. There's a lot of interesting stuff that he has to do while swinging and by fighting, and but everything is tone perfect and full of heart. And I, I was, it was really like, it felt like refilling my tank, um, uh, you know, artistically, because I was just really inspired by what he did. Um, what a treasure. So I mean, yeah, those are some of the performances that I've that have resonated with me the most, perhaps that I can summon at the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man 2018 was, uh, like, so good. <laughs> can, I just oh say, can I just say, in a million years, I never thought that William Sialers, uh, the voice of Rigby on regular show, would ever make me cry, but he didn't. Is he, is he Ock? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God, his Ock. His Ock! And I, oh! and I am still pissed. I need to commit his name to memory. I need to commit because what other games has he done? I think that's why I didn't remember his name. Um, he was the bad guy mm-hmm. in Darkness Two. Okay. And um, all right, he was Rigby in those... regular show. I see. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta remember the man's name because he really, yeah, he moved me to to tears totally. And Wonderful. I'm, and I'm still pissed really? off. I'm, I'm really still pissed off that him and, and Yuri were not nominated for best uh, best uh, actor and supporting actor for the for the Baftas. Me too. Not to throw shade at the Baftas, but me too. I was tweeting about it. I was like, um, excuse me. Um, I feel the same way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then you know, yep. dead insult to injury, uh, Chris Judd didn't even win for Kratos, and I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Really? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I, um, I'm trying to look up. I'm, I'm having a hard time. It turns out you can't just Google Spider-Man Marvel and find the IMDb <laughs> for the game. Ha ha. Who would have thought? Um, IMDb Insomniac. Let's try that. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's important to remember the name. I, I, I love, I mean, yeah, I think it's really, um, it's good. It's good to look up someone that moves you and remember their name and look forward to hearing from them. Well, I mean, it's, it's um, hard to forget because he was Rigby, and I remember being, you know, in my early 20s being a huge fan of regular shows, so there you go. 
Yeah, I mean, for you, yeah, you had that personal <laughs> connection already. Let's see who... Oh, my God, he's Morden. Yep. <laughs> oh, my God, that's blowing my mind. For real? It was second Morden. He had to replace the original he's... actor. Okay. Okay, well, Morden in Mass Effect 3 is pretty dope. <laughs> and pretty heart-wrenching. He's, this man has made a career of breaking my heart. <laughs> I see now. I see it all now. My goodness. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's totally on me that I that I didn't know his work already. But um, but here we go. We're fixing that. We're fixing that. No, I I love it. I love it because you know when I talk to someone who's not you know familiar with voice actors and and them you know discovering people for the first time, it's just wonderful. It is mm-hmm. a wonderful mm-hmm. feeling. Mm-hmm. 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 Um. Cool. All right. Noted. <laughs> Noted. All right, I'll never forget it ever again. William Salyers. Got it. Uh, you treasure, I love you if you're listening to this, which you aren't. <laughs> Probably mean you might. I don't know. Uh, bless your heart forever. Um, cool. Yeah, he's great. No, yeah, I, mean, I felt the same way. I wanted the guys to at least give him a nod. No, I mean, he was great. I mean, him and Yuri, like, they were the stand-up performances yeah. in that game. Like, they were just, like, ah! the, that final scene holy crap <laughs> i just replayed it actually me and my brother just replayed it together um re- very recently probably in the last couple of weeks um excuse me again um and uh and yeah just it just makes me tear up every time that ending ah <laughs> i'm just thinking about it now so good oh so uh, good it, it kind of you know speaking of that game as well like that game kind of ruined uh that, that, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. It kind of made me hard to to watch Young Justice again because uh, you know the voice of Artemis is also the voice of Screwball in that, and I'm like, oh boy. Yeah, how funny, <laughs> funny, Screwball. Oh my God, Screwball. And I did. Honey, I, relax. I, I did all those challenges, by the way, and those were a pain in the ass. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh yeah. You're like, can you just relax, Sweet Pea? Like, just take a night off. Oh my God. So, this is so great. Oh, and he's a sim. Oh, I, I always wanted to be a sim. That was a bucket list item. I wanted to be a sim and a splicer. Were the two like big ambient characters I always dreamed of being. Well, everyone wants. Maybe to someday. Do, everyone wants to do creature voices. Creature voices are the shit. Man. Oh, <laughs> they sure are. They sure are. They're so fun. Everyone, mm-hmm. I, like I'm just so jealous of D. Bradley Baker because he's like that man. Oh, oh boy! <laughs> I was doing. I did a panel with him. You can find it on YouTube. Actually, it was at the Actors Union. It was at SAG, and it was for the Next Generation performers. So the the under whatever age bracket it was, younger than me, um, the up and comers on how to do game voice acting. It was me and D. Bradley Baker and America Young, who's a mocap actor who does who's done probably a hundred titles or more, tons. Um, and D, we're, we're, you know, we're all talking about our day and kind of preparing people for the unique challenges of game voiceover. Like, oh, you don't get scripts in advance. You're going to go in and you're going to cold read, guys. You know, you need to get enough sleep. You need to warm up your voice. Um, you don't get to talk about what you're in, blah, 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 blah. And so we're all talking and, and hashing it out. And then D just like at one point, you know, for reasons, like I think it was it was contextually relevant, just like opened up into this, I don't know, warthog? Like, probably 200 pound boar i don't even know what it was but he just like 
pinched his nose and became a pig. It was it was just wild, you know, a terrible growling, scared, angry pig. And the thing, you know, a pig that can act, you know, a boar that can have feelings. It's he's just one of a kind, that guy, and really sweet. Also very nice. He has an amazing um, website called I Want to Be a Voice Actor dot com. Which, if anybody's listening to this and wants to be a voice actor, you should go to that website. It's full of advice and tips and steps um to building a career in this business um and doing this for a living and it's um so yeah he's also just incredibly generous with his experience and insight and is just happy to share with anybody who wants to kind of do what we do so d is d's the best i mean it's, great, awesome. I mean, it's a great website because it explains to you what voice acting is and what you know how to how to actually you know enroll in that as a career and not just mm-hmm. you know surface level stuff yeah and it's and it you know covers that if you're an actor um already if if you don't have any acting experience which i think he recommends you get first um but yeah it's uh it's so it's so comprehensive and he's just been adding to it and revising it for years so it's a really really anyone who asks me anyone who i I get asked a lot about how to do voiceover uh you know for games or in general and uh, the first thing i do is say go to d's website he made he put it all there for you it's it's your one-stop shop um so yeah, also a very what a gift to the community is D. I, I, I you know, one of my dreams is like I just want, you know, D. Bradley Baker and Frank Welker to have a creature off. I, I want that to happen. <laughs> so That'd be so fun. I don't know what the structure of that would be. You'd have to get prompts. You get prompts from people, like a freestyle thing. Like they would right, and then they would have to duel it out with their versions of those creatures. That'd be so fun. That would be very fun. Yeah, because you know, the D is that you know is is the Frank Welker of his generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. not not a dig on Frank because Frank is like, well, I mean, he's God in the voiceover industry, so you know. But, mm-hmm. but you know, you know, he's he's you know a lot older now, and he doesn't you know mm-hmm. doesn't get a lot of work as as much as he used to. But and, and D's like done mm-hmm. a fantastic job filling in for for Frank. As, as the creature mm-hmm. voice guy. <laughs> as the guy. As the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's fabulous. It's really interesting. It's wonderful hearing him talk about it, too, because he, he always talks about the psychology of the thing. Like, it's not enough to do a cool voice. You have to be able to act in that voice. You have to be able to be, have, have the full range of emotion and, you know, physical state, um, mental state. You have to be able to convey all of these things clearly. Um to an audience even through this weird voice that you're that you're producing so he's a real a real master of his craft i mean and, and he's and i remember like a, listening to him i think it was a lecture or something talking about like you know i'm you know he's not here to be liked or he's not here to be like everyone's favorite he's just there to you know bring to life you mm-hmm. know, so someone uh, someone else's vision so, you know, mm-hmm. if, if people like his performance, great. If some people don't, then, you know, whatever, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, yeah. you got to understand that, you know, you're there to bring someone else's vision to life. You're not there to be liked. Totally. To, or, you know, oh, totally. Oh, yeah. What a distraction. Like, I mean, you want to, you want to meet someone where they, where they want you to be. Like, so you're trying to please them is not is sort of the word, but it's just like, get what they want. You're there to serve them in a way. Um, and you're also there to, to serve yourself, to bring what you, to bring what you alone can bring to that character. So then sometimes there are things that are worth advocating for, but, but fundamentally you're all trying to 
serve something greater than yourself. Um, but that doesn't mean you're there to like win someone's personal approval or to be their best friend. I mean, that's not, and again, as we talked about, you're looking really silly while you do it. So it's kind of hard to like impress somebody by looking cool, (laughs) um, in that job. Um, but yeah, you, you want to, you want to be an effective collaborator and an effective instrument. And that's different. It's not always the same thing as being everyone's best pal. Um, sometimes if it means asking questions or explaining kind of what you want to do. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things that you might have to ask that aren't always like, cause you could easily try to be liked and pretend that you understand, for example, that you pretend that you understand what someone's asking you to do if you, um, and you don't, you know, if you're like, Oh, I, I you know, if you don't understand direction and you're like, Oh, I got this then, and you don't got it, then you're going to, that's going to show. So sometimes you need to be like, I'm sorry, I actually, I don't understand what you mean by that. Can you, is, do you mean this or can you rephrase it a different way? Or can you give an, an example? So you have to, you certainly, you have certainly have to like hold your own ground as a professional in order to give the best work. Um, so you can't always just kind of be like apologizing for yourself or demeaning yourself or kind of subjugating yourself to someone or just kind of trying to aim at the target of their approval um, instead of just kind of what the work needs when, and ultimately what they'll appreciate most about you is that sense of commitment and honesty, um, and profession. It's, it's, it's a mark of a professional. So is that, is a little bit of that self-respect and self-understanding yeah, I mean, and self-advocacy. It's, 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 you know, one of those things. And especially like, you know, when you're doing voiceover for like a game with like multiple choices, you're going to be asked to do the, that line over and over again until they get the right take. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if that's something that's going to get on your nerves, then you're not, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing right. this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a, it's such a, it's a really interesting balance because you need to, um, and this comes into work that I was just doing recently. Like you want to be as flexible and amenable as possible. Yes. You're going to do the lines until you get it right. But at the same time, it is your duty to set boundaries, especially when it comes to the really loud, difficult, screamy stuff for you to communicate really clearly and as honestly as you can, like what your physical limitations are, you know? So like, uh, and, and with gears that applies just as well, where I've, I've had conversations about how to like structure the session, where to put the more vocally stressful stuff so that we can have the best session possible. And I was, you know, I think one of the last sessions we had was like really satisfying. And I came away feeling really good about the session because we had had an open conversation about, um, where to put the most vocally stressful stuff, having breaks. I was really good about not ch- you know, not chatting, not trying to become everyone's best friend and talk and socialize on the break, resting my voice during the break, not talking. Um, you know, we, he, my director, uh, encouraged me to take sips of water and together we kind of collaborated on how the session was going to run. So I didn't blow out my voice and, um, a younger me probably would have just like shredded my cords and done whatever and not thought to kind of think about what I actually needed and what, what, how we could get everything done. Um, and I'm really glad that, that, that was why it was so satisfying was feeling like we came away having figured it out together. Um, so yeah, it's like, it takes a bit of both. Like I wanted to get them everything they needed. I wanted it to be really good, but we had a conversation about how to achieve that in a safe way for me so that I could leave and not, you know, have to not be able to work for a day or, or a week, you know, um, because they don't want that either. So you have to be able to speak up on your own behalf too. Um, as well as being like, not attached to your performance in a way of like, I think that take was better or I'm not going to give you that take or, 
Um, I don't want to do it again. You're only going to get one of these. Very few people can kind of pull off that kind of swag. <laughs> it's, and I'm not one of them. I will, I will totally give you a different direction. I will take whatever you, you want me to try. Not a problem. Um, but there does have to be some kind of communication back and forth about like taking care of my instrument. Um, and sometimes I will also advocate for what I think is true to the character if I think we're straying really far from it as, as able, you know, um, depending on my dynamic with the director and how long I've been working on the, working with that character. Um, so yeah, it's, that's, you're just trying to strike a balance. That's a very ambling response, but I, yeah, that you're trying to strike a balance between those two things. Yeah, I mean, I love it cause you know, you, you know, I, I mean, my biggest, my biggest uh, thing with this, the show is like learning stuff that I did not know about voiceover to begin with. Cause I, I mean, you, mm. hear, you hear the same shit over and over again where it's like, Oh, it's about acting and you have to be a good actor <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. Oh Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, you know, I, I love people who go into detail about it because, you know, very few, very few people do, you know. Yeah, Especially... I was so I'm really grateful. I'm grateful that directors on that issue, particularly, I'm grateful that directors are more and more understanding about that kind of having that kind of conversation. They're more aware that, like, our job is tough on the voice and um, that this is a way to think about structuring your session and that you can it can be a kind of a conversation. So I'm really grateful because if someone made me feel bad about it, part of me would probably still be, like, upset and frustrated. Um, so I'm grateful and relieved when I – it doesn't have to be an issue or be seen as combative. It doesn't have to be a conflict. It's just a, a collaboration. It's just a, a chat. Um so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of weird details in our job. It's very different. It's extremely different from every other kind of acting, including other kinds of voiceover. So I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're there to do like promos for like a commercial or something, they're just gonna mm-hmm. yeah put you in there and they're gonna ask you, hey, can you say this? Can you say that? Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Out of there. <laughs> it's a very different. There's like there's so many different kinds of stamina. Um, depending on the kind of job. You know, if it's an audiobook, it's the stamina of doing everything one take and doing an eight-hour day and managing your energy um, and making sure that everything is pretty much perfect on the first try and doing a lot of prep on the different voices so that you can do it on the first try so they're different and authentic and you know who these people are. That's audiobooks. Games, it's being able to yell and being able to switch contexts rapidly and do three or four or ten versions of, uh, of a line. Um, changing, doing a bunch of different characters that all sound natural. Um, that there's particulars of that. With commercials, it's the stamina of doing the same 30 second copy for an hour or more, over and over again. That's a different kind of stamina. There's always, you know, people might think of voiceover as being a comfortable kind of, and it is. It's easier on your body than doing stunts for sure. Um, you know, than dancing full out for eight hours possibly. But it is it's still physical, and it does require focus stamina that's energy from your mental energy emotional energy and physical energy um so yeah it's always interesting figuring out how to manage your stamina is the question kind of i'm most intrigued by when i switch contexts or switch kinds of acting it's like where am i going to be mustering my energy and what is that going to look like and why yeah i mean and that's you know that's something people uh, don't take into consideration because you know you have only one instrument, and that's your voice. And if that instrument gets damaged, then you know you're fucked. Mm. <laughs> yep, it's true. It's really true. And when you see, I, I don't, another speaking of fainting, this is apparently the podcast where I talk about how I faint. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but yeah, I, I almost passed out in a in a union run seminar on vocal stress, um, which is what we call damage that can happen to your voice from yelling all the time as we do in games um and it was like footage of bruised 
and like imagery of bruised vocal cords and like hemorrhaged vocal cords and I was like I almost passed out it was so gory um it's quite real and the thing is like when you burst blood vessels in these things and you're slamming your cords together and over you're basically bruising your cords by slamming them together to make these sounds the only way to heal it is to rest like that that's it you can't put medicine on your vocal cords or you'll drown that's not the passage that's the other passage that's your esophagus the only thing you can do is hydrate and rest um and you really can't it's like if you had a bruised shin so when people talk about vocal rest they really mean it like if you had a bruised shin talking would be like kicking that bruised shin against a doorframe every time you talk so like kind of getting a sense of like what it actually takes for your voice to heal and like not being precious about it but really knowing how dangerous it can be and the fact that you only have one one voice and whatever that's like that seminar was really really eye-opening to me and I, I still share tips and tricks and facts about um, vocal damage with other actors and with people um, and developers should know it too um, if they you know I, I think that because this is what we're why we say these things and why we ask for these things is because of that because that's what's going on on the inside so I mean, and speaking of, you know, I mean, I know, I know a lot of actors and uh, voice actors have their own techniques about how to deal with vocal stress. I know uh, Fred Tattashore has his own, like, spe- special tea blend that he... Oh, made. juice! Yeah, juice. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, cough syrup. Uh, it's that Chinese cough syrup. Yeah, yeah, that he drinks, uh, you know, before, you know, a Hulk session, because he knows that's going to mm-hmm. tear his throat up. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's... are you asking what mine are? Yeah. <laughs> yeah what are oh, you? Yeah. Oh, now now you're a mind reader. Now you know. Now you can know these questions. Ah, not, I don't need to run this interview for you. I can just wait till you ask. Um, I yeah, I warm up. I try to warm up when I'm in LA. I warm up every day, even if I don't have a session. Um, in my car, I'll just like I have a lot of straws. I keep a lot of coffee stir straws in my car, um, because you can do a thing called straw phonation which is to kind of buzz it like a kazoo where you're pressing air through the straw um, and and singing on it gently kind of. Um, and that vibration through the straw really bounces back on your cords and kind of warms them up, kind of like opens up their resonance. And what that does is it gets them warm and it gets more resonance for less work. So um, that's a really good way to warm up. I also sing a little bit. Um, and do like I have my karaoke playlist in the car. So I always, I warm up as much as possible. I, I'm really defensive in my sleep. Um, when I'm tired, being tired shrinks my vocal range and my strength, um, and makes me not recruit certain muscles in the rest of my body to support my voice when I need it. So if I'm straining, it's because I'm not like using my whole body to support underneath my voice. And that's my, because I'm tired. So being tired is very dangerous. Um, and staying hydrated. I drink uh, you know, I drink a ton of water during a session. Um, I, I joke with people that I might have to start packing diapers in my car because when I when I do a session, I'll drink probably six bottles. For, for honor, I drink probably six bottles of water in like two hours. Um, and then I'm like in Burbank, which is very far from where I live in Culver City in Los Angeles. It probably takes an hour and change to get home. And so I guarantee that like by the time I get home after that session, I'm going to nearly piss myself. Like I, like I, I, uh, I've had some close calls, um, but it's because I'm guzzling water. Um, and that helps too. Um, so those are all the things that I usually do to kind of protect, keep my voice in good condition, um, and make sure that I'm like in the best physical shape I can be, um, when I go in to record that stuff. Now I'm just picturing you, you know, driving with like, uh, gallons and Warming. gallons yeah. of water in your car. That's really bad. 
It's bad. Yeah, man, it's bad. I, I usually try lately. I've been trying to just stay in Burbank, like find a restaurant or a coffee shop that I can just get up and pee for another hour, like frequently and then drive home. Um, I got a plan for this, you know, I really got a plan. So yeah, water helps. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and, you know, throat coat. No, I mean, it's, 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 you know, you gotta, you know, keep your, keep your instrument, uh, working. And, you know, if that means drinking lots of water and trying to find a place to pee later, then, you know, so be it. <laughs> These are the weird particular working hazards of my job. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, I might need to use the restroom soon, my man. <laughs> um, and it is getting a little bit late oh, over here. Sorry, I'm actually sorry. on the East Coast. No, okay, um, sorry. Sorry to keep you. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. No, I've just been having so much fun. Sorry. I'm glad. Oh, I'm so glad. It's been fun. It's been very fun. <laughs> so uh, I'll just I'll just leave you with, um, can you just uh, say uh, any, any place people can find you on social media before we just wrap this off? Yeah, of course. Um, I am on Twitter uh, at Selmale, so S-E-L-M-A-L-E-H. That's my Twitter. I'm also on Instagram at the same. Um, I Let's see. My Facebook is not really, doesn't have anything going on. Um, what else, what else, what else? And those are the main things. Follow, you can follow me for news of games and stuff and community initiatives and things like that um, on the Twitter and, uh, yeah, do go out and play. Um, well, if you haven't played Gears, go play Gears. It's fun. Um, play Eliza, which came out this summer. Um, really beautiful, thoughtful indie. Um, and After Party, which is just a romp and, uh, and a hell of a good time. Oh, I did it. I did the thing. I did the pun. A hey. hell of a good time. Yeah, th- thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And we'll, we'd love to have you back on, you know, whenever. <laughs> Sounds cool. Thank you so much for inviting me. Have a good one.